Uh, welcome back, everybody. It's time for this uh, partnership, this collaboration between the Star Tribune editorial board and WCCO Radio from Star Tribune. As always, John Rash is here. DJ Tice also here. John, how about I will start with you. As we talk here at one thirty-six on Wednesday, we look at the televisions and we're seeing Bill Barr, the attorney general who has faced questioning all day. Now, the story changed to a certain degree when yesterday evening, for the first time, we found out about a letter that the special counselor, Robert Mueller, had wrote to his longtime friend, Bill Barr, where if you look, you can look at it two ways. Bill Barr contends that, that Mueller's only point was that he wasn't happy with the media coverage. Okay, I read it a little bit differently that Mueller wasn't happy with how the limited amount of information wasn't providing the full context to a voluminous 400-page report. So let me start with both of you on this. How much did this hearing and this testimony change with the timing, the rather curious timing of the Mueller letter, Mueller letter coming out last night? Well, I read it figuratively and literally the same way that you do. And when you look at the letter and you hear Mr. Mueller talk about that it doesn't reflect the full context of what he and his colleagues labored over for years in terms of this very thorough investigation. Right. And he's quite specific about the summaries that they produced with the idea that they could be exactly. released to the public immediately without any or extraordinarily few redactions involved in there. And then eventually the entire report could be sent out. And the fact that beyond the letter, there appears to have been a conversation between the two gentlemen who you mentioned are longtime family friends as well, that it appears that Mr. Mueller really urged that these summaries get put out. And if there indeed was consternation, as Attorney General Barr seems to recall over the media coverage, the way to clear up that media coverage is yeah. to send out these summaries. And that's what the Robert Mueller clearly was urging at this point. And I think that that point, as well as the fact that when asked in previous testimony whether he knew how Robert Mueller felt about his four-page summary and Attorney General Barr, in effect, indicated that he did not know, clearly has many Democrats and many Americans crying foul that as the Attorney General that you know, one should not be so overly partisan in, in one's interpretation of events. So, DJ, what you're hearing from a lot of Democrats and, and folks who are sympathetic to the cause that uh, Barr was able to set a narrative, that Barr, by the way, he's the attorney general, and Robert, Nolan, <clears throat> Robert Mueller in this case is working for him. Let's be clear about that. Yes. But that when Mueller gives him this 400-page report and Barr puts the summary out promptly, right, gets it on a, a Friday, gets right. it on Sunday, right. that Barr was able to set that narrative for weeks and weeks before the redacted version came out. And the Democratic senators, many are saying today, you were cherry-picking information and you were not portraying it in an accurate depiction of what Mueller wrote, as Mueller said, full context. Is that fair or not? Well, I think it's fair in the sense that it describes what happened. I, you know, I think we're, what we have done is moved from the legal arena to the political arena. Yeah, well stated. And, and we moved there uh, across that divide the moment that Mueller turned this report over to the attorney general because basically he was done. Uh, making or or declining yeah. to make recommendations uh, for indictments. At that point, it became a, a political process. I have to say, 
when the four-page summary came out a few weeks ago, I wrote a column kind of celebrating the arrival of clarity yeah. in the, you know, the fog of political war. Well, that clarity has pretty well been shot. Yeah. It's <laughs> in, foggy. Yeah. In the subsequent week, the, the fog has rolled back in. Uh, and I have to you know, attribute some of that to, to Mueller himself. I mean, frankly, the more of his context one gets, the more confused one becomes so let me, as to what he did or didn't decide. Okay, so let's stay with that because Bill Barr has said, and I'll get to John in a second, Bill Barr said multiple times today that he and Rod Rosenstein were surprised that Mueller did not come to a firm conclusion on whether it was obstruction of justice or not, that they felt like that was going to happen. I think some folks who read it looked at what Mueller said, and Mueller followed the guidelines and said, I don't believe I can do this. I cannot indict a president while he's in office. It would be unfair to do that if he cannot defend himself. And Mueller feel, I think most who are are defending that person saying, Mueller was leaving that for Congress. That is the role of Congress. And instead of me putting the president in an untenable legal position, I'm going to give Congress that Yeah, well, it's a little bit of a hall of mirrors, it seems like to me, if you say, well, I'm not going to say that I conclude you've committed a crime because if I was to say that, it would be unfair to you. So I'm not going to say that. Well, of course, I have just said it. Yeah, right. (laughs) And uh, yes, he was indeed handing it over to Congress, which is exactly what I mean by moving from the legal process where you either charge a crime or you don't. And into the political process, Congress can impeach or not, censure or not, do many things in a political frame as long as they've, as they've got the votes and the, and the nerve yeah. politically to, to, the nerve. to do it, and, yeah. and we shall find out. On that part, the, the, the bar surprise, John, and Mueller, if you want to go with the football analogy, punting or Mueller just following the guidelines, and I, it's not within my purview. Well, in – if we use the football analogy here, Robert Mueller was, as he saw it, playing by the rules in a league where no one is seemingly playing by the rules in terms of how political this process yeah. has become, as DJ so rightfully referenced just a moment ago. And he, he, as the FBI man that he has been his entire career, you know, he, he played it by the book, and, and the book has been thrown out in modern-day Washington at, at this point. So it has you know, officially seemingly entered the, the political sphere right now as witnessed by these wall-to-wall uh, coverage of, of the hearings on Capitol Hill with the attorney general today. And, of course, out on the hustings with presidential prospects who are increasingly being asked their position yeah, on impeachment. Right. And certainly with the release of Robert Mueller's letter, the hearings today, these questions are not not only going to go away, they're going to intensify for the presidential candidates. And you may get some who are going to echo Senator Warren's call for the House to impeach and send it to the Senate so she and her colleagues can, in effect, be jurists from that perspective. Um, I think that this is a question that very few candidates are going to be able to dodge in the next few weeks. I, I, I just want to ask one question. I mean, literally, these, these questions keep arising for me. If Mueller believed that the guidelines meant he could not, under any circumstances, recommend an indictment against the president, then why did he proceed to investigate that matter, that he couldn't recommend an indictment? Unless he felt like he just had to provide the report 
to Congress and say, no, but he wasn't appointed by Congress. He yep. was he was named by the Attorney General at yep. the direction of the President. Right. He he was working as a prosecutor. Yeah. Not as an investigator for, for the some Department of Justice committee. Yeah. Congress can hire its own investigators. Yeah. They can hire Bob Mueller. Well, and that's why you know it, it, the change of this from the Ken Starr role was some folks felt like on both sides of the aisle that Starr had too much power. Right. That an independent counsel needed to be overseen. John, I would say this, no matter the president, this president or any presidents going forward, if their conduct is going to be investigated and maybe the guidelines change, whether an indictment or not, or who knows where it might go, the idea that it then goes to an attorney general who the president appointed and you're investigating that president, forget that it's Donald Trump. If it's Hillary Clinton or anybody, that still makes no sense to me. It doesn't make sense to myself as well as a lot of Americans as well. And even though ostensibly they're supposed to be serve, they're supposed to serve as America's attorney general. You're right. They are often highly political figures, often yeah. taken directly from the United States Senate or you know from the House of Representatives or are people who are quite close to the president of the United States, including most famously Bobby Kennedy, who was sure. the president's brother at, at that point. And just take that situation to an extreme. And Eric Holder and Barack Obama. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, so many others with, with so many parties. So you're right. And, and yet I think that America has the right to expect more out of a process as serious as this. And this is why so many on Capitol Hill, as well as throughout the country, are crying foul from the perspective of how they think that this initial narrative sent set by the attorney general was then seized upon by the president and became, in a way, the official response from the Republicans before anything else was really known about the report. And as the report has been released and as these executive summaries have been made available, a lot of people, I think, are rightfully asking, why wasn't this all put out so people could make a much more nuanced evaluation of it? Here, here's my last point on this. I want both of you guys to comment. Chad Hartman with DJ Tyson, John Rash from the Star Tribune. Doug, I'll start with you. When when Will, William Barr continues to say the president fully cooperated in every way with Robert Mueller, yes, he did not declare executive privilege. Yes, he turned over literally over a million documents, and many people from the White House did cooperate. But he himself did not sit down. He himself and the written answers, which were lawyered up, and they for all of us they would be lawyered up, 30 separate times said, I don't recall. We have the reports of Lewandowski going to Jeff Sessions, unrecuse yourself at the direction of the president. We have the president multiple times uh, reaching out to Don McGahn about firing James Comey. If you accept the Mueller report and Bill Barr is accepting it, how can he then say that is full cooperation? If you want to say that doesn't rise to obstruction of justice regarding high crimes and misdemeanors, that's one thing. But that's not fully cooperating. Is that a question, Chad? (laughs) It was more my comment, and you can say I'm full of it or I'm not. (laughs) Well, I think you're right. Uh, You know, in a in a very technical sense, not uh, invoking executive privilege, providing the documents, not in fact firing uh, the special counsel, and so on. Right. Uh, You know, he cooperated. Nobody in America has to talk to investigators uh, who are looking at, uh, at, at criminal liability on their part. Uh, but it's certainly a, 
a spin and an exaggeration to say that it was full and complete uh, cooperation. And, and John, I get that from the president. Okay, if he wants to spin, if any president wants to spin, I, but again, the attorney general to me should not be providing the spin and acting like he's a part of the Jay Seculo Rudy Giuliani team. Indeed, and I think the fact that you know it's been well established that one of the main reasons why he has the job is unsolicited. He sent this 19-page memo talking about how a president could not be indicted, and and that clearly got him you know on the radar screen of the Trump administration as they were looking to make a change in the attorney general position. In terms of the full cooperation, full cooperation to almost anyone listening in our audience today would assume that you sit down with the people who are doing the investigation and the fact that he refused to do so suggests to me that, of course, it's not full cooperation. Especially after he said many times he was going to. Okay, let's go local here. Uh, DJ, what do we we learn politically about the legal change with Lake Calhoun, uh, Bidet McCoska, the House stepping in, how this was handled. We're also tied to the University of Minnesota and the initial decision they were going to remove the names. Now they're not going to remove the names. Where are we at with that that whole idea at this point? Well, I think that the, the, the movement to sort of uh, edit the past uh, in the sense of removing these names of, of folks who've come into disrepute has hit some speed bumps. Yeah. Uh, along the way, that's happened, as you say, with the uh, the regents' decision at the university, with the uh, uh, Makaska, uh decision at the appeals court, and for that matter, the Republicans in the legislature are looking to invoke uh, punitive budget cuts on the historical society right. uh, for their reinterpretation of of Fort Snelling. So, uh, traditionalists, if you want to call them that, are are pushing back and sort of. Answering the question, it seems to me, that often gets asked in this connection, which is how how far are we going to go with this, right? Where are we going to stop? Mm-hmm. Well, some folks are saying we're going to stop here. Uh, on the appeals court, I mean, I think the statute is pretty clear that uh, only the legislature I can agree. rename a body of water. How did they get that wrong? Well, I don't think they got it wrong. I think they looked the situation over and thought, what's the politically safe thing for me to do? Explain to the masses that... State statute 802.65 says such yeah. and such, or just go along with the popular decision yeah. and let the courts fix it. Yeah. And then we'll denounce the courts. It's you know, Ch- kind of Trumpian, really. Chad, so much of our, our politics we look at through position papers and economic policies. And yet, as we find out in these quadrennial elections for president in, in particular, how much is cultural and how much. People identify with parties and people in terms of cultural values. And these are local manifestations of some of these cultural values and some of the pushback. What's extraordinary is that it all seemed to come at once and all seemed to represent, as DJ rightly described, as as kind of what some people desire as a full stop, you know, of this kind of a a process here. So I think what, what really strikes a lot of Minnesotans as well is, the profound problems that the state is facing, that the legislature is wrestling with, and that the the clock continues to tick away on. And yet, you know, these seem to take a lot of the oxygen out of the Capitol in St. Paul and and out of the political discourse in this state. And very quickly, they're going to have to refocus on the matters at hand. Yeah. And get something done and avoid a special session, which 
It's not that special anymore. Don't count on it. Yeah. If if it happens about every other year, I don't think it can be special. It's the second session, whatever it might be. Occasional. Yes, occasional. More than occasional. Gentlemen, I always appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. DJ Tice and John Rash from the Star Tribune. Always check us out, whether it's live here on CCO, WCCORadio.com, or StarTribune.com. Your Lindis construction time check is 151. Time to learn, learn why Lindis is the top installer of LeafGuard brand gutters throughout the world.